Hello and welcome on to another episode here of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So it, the majority of the offseason has concluded, and so I guess it's time to start getting into you know some of the team breakdowns and stuff like that. And I mentioned on a previous podcast that I would have a special guest, and I'm following through with that. Uh, so joining me is Tom Westerholm, uh, Celtics beat writer from Mass Live. Tom, thanks so much for coming on, man. Much appreciated. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. So uh, it was uh, a little bit of uh, we had some scheduling conflicts. It was tough to get you on. So I guess a great transition, to be honest, to start is from the time, you know, that the Celtics get eliminated uh, from the Bucks. you know, a 4-1 series win for the Bucks in the second round. So from that time up until kind of the last signing in free agency, what's kind of taking up your time? What's the life of a beat writer between the time that the season ends and kind of the end of the uh, free agency madness ends? Because I think we all know kind of in between that time you're writing about the team, you're doing breakdowns, trade deadline stuff, buyout stuff, uh, kind of easy to fill in the gaps there. But I don't think a lot of people know what the life of a beat writer is, you know, kind of after the season ends. So if you would, like, kind of describe, like, what are you doing in that time? Yeah, so right after the Celtics lost, uh, they actually they scheduled their exit interviews uh, the next morning, um, which was kind of bonkers because we were all stuck in Milwaukee. Um, flying in and out of Milwaukee is weirdly hard. Um, there's basically no direct flights. So we were all struggling to get back for exit interviews. Um, they, they only had a few guys go, but so that's, that's the start of things. Um, you know, you get like a last chance to talk to everybody before the off season. Um, and uh, so after that, you start getting into draft prep. Um, you, you know, start, researching guys kind of figuring out uh you know I, I'm, I'm kind of a draft nerd so I, I was researching a lot of these guys beforehand but you know you really start to get into that um you know real hard at that point especially this last season where the Celtics had you know basically three first round picks um so they start having draft workouts you know you're, you're shuttling yourself between uh you know home and the practice facility a lot to uh to cover the draft workouts and and get all that going um the draft happens well for the Celtics it was a about a month after the season, um, you know, when that all went down, um, you know, busy draft night, obviously. And then you start prepping for summer league, uh, which is in Las Vegas. So, you know, it's uh, in, in, you know, fly out to Vegas, spend uh, a week, which is and maybe a little bit more, um, which is more than enough time to spend in Las Vegas uh, covering uh, summer league. And after that, summer league is sort of, oh, and I <laughs> forgot free agency, which is in the middle of all that. So, um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the Summer League sort of marks the end of the actual NBA season calendar for beat writers. You know, after that, you finally get to, like, take a little bit of a breath, you know, work on some of the things that take a little bit more time, work on certain features, uh, you know, and just kind of just kind of chill for a little bit after a really grueling season. It's um, it, it's it's a weird setup because the season ends and you feel like, okay, I made it to the end of the season, but you really didn't yet. You still have the draft, you still have free agency, you still have summer league. It's once summer league is over that you can finally, you know, take a take a take a step back and uh, sort of <laughs> get your life back in order after a grueling, you know, ten or eleven months. Right, absolutely. And even then, you're still probably, you know, trying to, in your mind, imagine what's going to happen next season, like trying to figure out, you know, lineups, who's going to make the 15-man roster and all that sort of stuff, which kind of transitions into my next question. I mean, you mentioned uh, how many uh, draft picks the Celtics had and, you know, they drafted a number of guys, but I kind of want to focus on, you know, four of them that I think will actually, you know, have some, you know, tangible impact on the roster. Those being, you know, Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, and Taco Fall. So, 
Let, let's start with Romeo Langford. Like we, I saw a little bit in the off season, uh, or not in the off season, but just kind of after he was drafted, he was working with some coaches and actually saw that they had strapped like what was it a ping pong paddle to his left yeah. hand to work on his <laughs> offhand shooting. Can you describe to me a little bit about like kind of what he? I, obviously, he's working on you know making sure he doesn't he doesn't have any of that thumb flicker kind of stuff in translating his shot to the NBA. But can you describe a little bit about you know Romeo Langford and kind of the 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 changes he's had to make to try to adjust to kind of the NBA from what you've seen so far. Yeah, so he's uh, about a six six uh, shooting guard out of Indiana. He spent all of his high school years and then uh, his college one college season at the Indiana uh, uh, Indiana University. Um, you know, very talented ball handler, very talented uh, scorer around the rim. Um, gets there really really smoothly. Gets to the line a lot. Uh, he's his three point shot is kind of interesting because so he tore a ligament in his right thumb, which is his shooting hand, um, during his season at Indiana, and as a result, his three point percentages were just disastrous. He shot like twenty seven percent from three, and you know he wasn't a superstar shooter in high school either. Um, but it's also a pretty fair bet that he's going to shoot better than twenty seven percent, just because you know his his shooting thumb won't be hanging half off his palm. So <laughs> he. Uh, so, you know, they're, so they're working on that. And when one of the issues they did identify with his shot was that he was, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, he had that thumb, that guide hand on the ball, um, which can throw off your rotation. And um, it was funny. I talked to one of the assistant coaches at Summer League and he, uh, who works with Romeo on his shot. And he was saying, look, it's actually, you know, I, I don't want to be hurt, obviously, but it's actually a good thing for me that I'm working with him in from like a rehab perspective, because this is like, that's all he can do. Like he can't, he, at that point right. he couldn't catch a ball. He couldn't dribble a ball. And they were just really breaking his, his shot down to the absolute, you know, essentials. And that actually really helped because, you know, if Romeo was healthy, he'd want to be out there shooting. He'd want to be out there getting, you know, getting workouts in and everything. And since he was forced to re you know, refigure his entire shot anyway, doing it from a rehab perspective, wasn't the worst thing in the world. So He's a real intriguing prospect. I know, you know, Danny Ainge is really, really high on him. Uh, he's a guy who was a, a top, top, top recruit coming out of high school. Obviously, his season at Indiana, he, even with, you know, being a 19-year-old with one thumb basically ripped off, he still led the team in scoring, um, you know, still put up a lot of really intriguing numbers. So we'll see what he does at the next level. We'll see how many minutes he gets on a pretty crowded wing roster. But the Celtics are definitely high on him, and they're going to uh, – they're definitely going to give him a chance to succeed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you could definitely see him, you know, coming off the bench for the team. No, isn't really asked to do much, especially with the, you know, the three main wings being Tatum Brown and uh, Hayward taking up most of the the minutes there. But um, I, I spoke with, um, you know, my friend Nick on a previous podcast, and I think there could be some value to Romeo Langford, you know, being able to, if he is able to develop into, you know, a starter, being able to slide him into that shooting guard role, which really kind of pushes down, you know, guys like Tatum, uh, Brown and Hayward back into their, you know, original position, which is, you know, the small forward, you know, power forward in some smaller lineups, because I feel like, you know, playing those guys at the two, three and four, you know, it tends to be a little bit big and they tend to be a little bit out of the at least one of them tends to be out of their position playing with the shooting guard role so I think you know kind of his development uh would be real key for this roster and I think that uh, it would be it would be huge for them um you know uh, Grant Williams is the other guy now I've heard some comparisons and you know I hate when people use this comparison but I couldn't help but do it offensively kind of seems like a lot of like the same skills as Draymond Green at least on offense in terms of you know being a solid passer with the ball a little bit of uh you know kind of an undersized power forward but still has uh you know uh some high basketball iq talk to me a little bit about you know grant williams and kind of what you see from his role uh on the team coming this year 
Yeah, so the problem with most Draymond comparisons is that he, he people like to just use it when it comes to like a somewhat talented like fat guy, you know, like right, like exactly, like, yeah, and like that's just not you know Draymond. Draymond's Draymond because he's a, you know an actual basketball genius. And the thing about Grant Williams is I don't you know he's a smart basketball player um, and he's a very very smart individual. So it'll be interesting to see because he does get those Draymond comparisons. Um, and I don't think he's Draymond Green, to be clear. I think, you know, Draymond Green is, like, at this point, he's probably headed for the Hall of Fame. Like, I, you exactly. know, way, way too early to say that about Grant Williams. But I think the comparisons to Draymond are a little bit more fair with him because he does have some of that really, you know, natural passing ability, some of that natural basketball IQ. Um, you know, he's he is very, very strong. I don't think he'll ever be the defender that Draymond is. Like, he, you know, he, Grant is a very good defender, but, I, you know, he's not going to be winning, like, Defensive Player of the Year awards. But, you know, he's a – yeah, he's a, he's a really talented role player. Um, again, a guy that the Celtics are excited about because he impacts winning. Um, you know, he, he should be able to contribute pretty quickly. You know, obviously with how strong he is, he can body guys. Um, you know, he's probably a little too small to deal with a lot of the – really dominant centers in the league, um, which is something that the Celtics are really going to struggle with this year with no Al Horford. But, you know, he's definitely going to get minutes this year. And I, I think, you know, he could be in line for real significant minutes because as far as this team goes, there's a lot of wings um, and there's not necessarily very many reliable bigs. And, you know, that's going to be a, that's going to be a storyline all season. Um, but I think that Grant, you know, from, from day one, he should be able to contribute something. And I think as the season goes on, he's really going to figure out the NBA pretty quickly. Right, absolutely. I, I'm I'm totally on board with you there. I think that's a pretty accurate description from what I've seen so far. And um, yeah, I tend to agree with you about the Celtics bigs, and that'll that's a topic that we'll get into a, l- a little bit later. Um, you know, Carson Edwards. This this is a guy I I really like. You know, not only because you know as it projects uh, in real life, I'm a sh- I'm a short point guard you know what I mean like when I play pickup games so his his game kind of resonates me really uh really well I saw his last game in the tournament where he was just absolutely getting buckets and like it was it was just really awesome to see and then you see him in summer league and it, it was a lot of the same you know he, he shoots the ball really well from three he has really nice mechanics I think at this point you'd like to see maybe just a little bit more playmaking skills from him but I mean I think Carson Edwards right now kind of projects as a, a really really nice uh six man as his, at his like uh potential and I, I'm just curious to think what what do you see as Carson Edwards as potential six man for uh the Celtics roster in your opinion or how do you see it yeah down the road for sure you know I think they've got um they've got sort of an interesting glut of point guards at the moment where they have Kemba Walker and they have Marcus Smart and both those guys are going to need you know significant minutes and I mean Smart might start honestly we'll see how that whole that whole situation plays out I'm Um, thinking the same to be honest yeah it's it's definitely possible and uh you know obviously that would send either Hayward or Jalen Brown to the bench which would be a whole nother can of worms uh whatever well we we can get to that later but Carson yeah I mean he's he's just a bucket getter like that is that's what he does um you know he wasn't always like the most reliable finisher around the rim in college either uh he did that pretty well at summer league not like amazing but yeah I mean the question is always going to be his facilitating he's not a natural passer he just but I think in a lot of ways he'll be real intriguing because he because he can score, but also because he can defend. Like he's very just like sturdy, um, completely unafraid of, you know, jumping into passing lanes of, you know, trying to strip guys, uh, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's got a six foot six wingspan, um, you know, despite the fact that he's only six foot. So he's and I, I think the Celtics, they really value that. They found really good ways to use Shane Larkin in kind of that role a couple right. of years ago. Um, and I think that Carson is probably going to be a better bucket getter than Shane Larkin, although Shane is playing extremely well overseas. Um, so, 
you know, I think for next year, that's probably the role that he's looking at is, you know, maybe, a, you know, ninth, tenth man off the bench, you know, can handle the ball up the court if you're really only looking for him to, you know, sort of start the offense and, and score when asked. Um, but, you know, in the future, for sure, I think that there's, you know, I, I, I think that there's a hope that a guy like him in Brad Stevens system, which really rewards point guards, um, that, that he'll be able to, to do some really special things for them. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for clarifying. I meant down the uh, down the road. Obviously, the Celtics yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> roster is a little talented for Carson Edwards to come be in and be a six man right away. But uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with a lot of what you said there. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, you find him to be, you know, a, a better defender. I, th- I think obviously that's probably what scared a lot of people, uh, you know, from drafting him maybe higher than he was, uh, was was that size, you know, as tends to be with a lot of guys. Like I remember uh, Tyler Eulis was another guy that is a good example of that. Like I'll know, I know he's not in the league at this point, but I was, I was really high on Tyler Eulis because he could defend, even though his size wasn't that big. And I kind of see the same thing with Carson Edwards, but you um, just wanted to kind of just continue with that. You see him as a, a solid defender. What aspects of his defense did you see was really good on ball? Like, uh, like getting in the passing lanes. What, what about his defense did you like particularly? Yeah, so the, I think the big difference between him and Tyler Eulis is that Tyler Eulis weighed like 135 pounds. <laughs> right. <laughs> really skinny. Um, Carson is not. Like, that dude is just thick. Uh, and he, uh, you know, that's, I mean, he gets in front of guys. He's like, he's very unafraid of contact. Uh, you know, and it was, it's always interesting with guys who will stick their hand in to like get steals and to, and to strip the ball. I mean, they're risking a, jam, you know, a broken finger, a jammed thumb, whatever it might be on every single play, basically. And in both him and, uh, you know, Tremont Waters, uh, the other guard the Celtics drafted later um, in, in the first round who saw a two-way deal. Uh, both of those guys showed a real aptitude for, you know, just disrupting. And that was the thing that that was the theme that the Celtics assistant coaches kept saying over summer league was like, these guys are going to disrupt. They're going to, you know, they're going to make it hard for ball handlers. They're, you know, like guys, they're going to, you know, help down. They're going to dig off the, off the guys, off the uh, perimeter if they need to. And, you know, they're going to just force a lot of turnovers. And I think that's kind of where their value comes. Obviously, you know, they're not going to be super versatile defenders because they're only like six foot. Um, but, you know, in terms of helping off their guys and recovering and in terms of just like bothering other point guards up and down the floor, I think on ball is really where you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of disruption from those guys. If, you know, sort of uh, summer league and a little bit of college, you know, you saw it a little bit in college, but obviously college defenses are just a completely different ball game. They're just a, like a different style of basketball. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, I don't think that they're going to be that either, you know, Edwards or Waters are going to be just like super elite defenders in their first year. It takes a little while to get used to guarding, you know, some of the best ball handlers in the world. But I think that they'll get there. I think they're both going to be pretty solid on ball guys who, you know, help a little bit off the ball as well. Right. Oh, and I... they both take charges. They both they both like, <laughs> lay their body out. So, you know, that's valuable, too. Good stuff. And I'm sure uh, Marcus Smart can definitely help with that, anything that lacks in that uh, department as well. Uh, okay, so last guy uh, we'll talk about is Taco Fall. Um, th- this guy garnered a lot of attention at Summer League. I, I got a glimpse of you know some of the Twitter clips of the lines uh, lining up to meet this guy. Yeah. Uh, re- real interesting character. Obviously, you know, the, the size is what's really intriguing, even though he's, you know, re- really not really lean uh, for his size. But, uh, you know, has some shot blocking ability, has some a little bit of a post game. Uh, d- do you even think that – well, I think Taco Fall will make the roster. I, I'm sure you agree with that. But what, what kind of role do you see for Taco Fall? I'm guessing he might get a chance considering, you know, some of the uh, the lack of – we'll call it uh, depth at the at the five position that we um, that we talked about earlier. Yeah, I'm not as convinced that he's going to make the roster necessarily. Uh, really? Okay. He, yeah, he is – I mean, he is definitely a fan favorite. And if, if he doesn't make the roster, there is just going to be hell to pay on Twitter. But he's uh, – he, he's – 
he's so big. Um, you know, that like, like Robert Williams said like a hundred times at summer league, like you can't run from seven, six. Um, he, the problem is just like, so the other guy that they're bringing into camp with a real chance to make the roster is uh, Javante green, um, who played really well at summer league. And, you know, he's more of just like a traditional basketball player. Like he, you know, defends really well. He gets way up for these huge dunks. Taco's just big. And I mean, he is really huge. Like, uh, you know, I'm around tall NBA players all the time. I'm around seven footers all the time. And Taco is just completely different. Like he's, he's like a, a literal giant. Um, and you know, he's actually, he's actually not that skinny. Um, if you, if you're kind of around him, he's actually pretty well built all things considered for a guy that size coming out of college. Um, I think that just kind of the uniqueness of him, uh, could be an argument for him making the roster. Like, like if I was, if I was to take a guess, I would guess that he probably will. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced because I'm not a hundred percent convinced by his skill set. You know, you, you mentioned the post game and he does have a little bit of one, but it's, it's sort of just, you know, go over his left shoulder and, and try to, you know, and dunk basically because he doesn't have to jump to do it. Like he doesn't really have much in terms of that. Um, you know, guys, once they sort of got used to the fact that he was down there, they figured out that they could float it over him if they were sneaky about it. Um, they figured out ways to score around him. Um, you know, I, it, it's real hard to say at this point, you know, maybe he develops into a real shot blocking big man who defends the rim and, and guys don't want to go down there. I mean, that's definitely possible. And, you know, he's super high quality, just character. Like he's just a, a really nice guy and he, he works really hard. I wouldn't have any concerns about that if I was a, an NBA team, but I just, I worry about guys who are that big. I don't know how useful they're going to be in the modern game where it's just so predicated on, you know, defending the pick and roll. And, you know, he's not the most mobile guy in the world. It's just sort of a, a byproduct of being seven foot six. So we'll see. I'm, I would, you know, he's, he's a fascinating guy. It would be fun to cover him this year. It'd be fun to watch people freak out whenever he's about to check into the game. Um, and you know, but you can't just make roster decisions based on fan favorites. So it'll be, it'll be sort of a contest between him and Javante to see who, uh, who gets that last spot there. Right. Fair enough. I guess I can't really, I can't really disagree with that. Um, I, I appreciate that because I, uh, I, I think maybe I thought he was gonna, you know, kind of fall into the same. And, and I'm a big Raptors fan here, just in case you didn't know. But I, I <laughs> pictured him being kind of the big guy version of what Bruno Caboclo was back in 2014. The kind of two years away from being two years away, uh, but he's still kind of the 15th guy on the roster, and will get in in garbage time and that sort of thing. So that's kind of the the role that I kind of you know, felt he would be. But uh, if you're telling me that Javante Green is uh, projected to be a little bit of a better guy that can, you know, more traditional big man that can maybe have a, a quicker impact, then I, I see no reason why Taco Fall, you know, can't be, you know, in, in the G League for a few years and, uh, you know, kind of bring him up uh, as necessary once he develops uh, a little bit more skill and kind of kicks the uh, the rawness of, uh, about him just kind of to the curb. So fair enough. Yeah, and, and, and to be clear about Javante Green, he's actually a wing. Um, you know, oh, my apologies. Uh, yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, do you mean... Do you mean to tell me you didn't watch every minute of uh, Celtic Summer League? Because that's uh, negligent, in my opinion. No, uh, <laughs> Taco, you know, look, I mean, roster-wise, you know, Taco makes sense. You know, they don't have, like, a, a, a real big, and he, there's a very good chance that he makes the team, you know, because of that. Um, but, you know, it'll just kind of come down to if they uh, if they, if they think that he's going to be usable. I mean, they, they need people who can help this year because uh, they're hoping to be competitive this year, and they can only have so many projects on the roster when, you know, half the team got drafted this year. So we'll see what happens. It'll be really interesting when come training camp. 
Right. And uh, okay, so you mentioned the uh, the expectations to compete this year. That's kind of a good transition. Uh, what What is the Celtics expectation this year? I mean, I think that there was a time where this was kind of going to be an experiment year uh, after you, I mean, the, the losses for this team are, you know, staggering when you think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Kyrie Irving, you know, nothing needs to be said about that. Same with Al Horford, nothing needs to be said. But Marcus Morris played really well last year for this team. And uh, even though, you know, Terry Rozier, some people are uh, more lukewarm on him than others and obviously I think the the contract he got in Charlotte was uh very very rich for uh, what I think he can deliver uh in my opinion at least I still think that those are four real quality players that are leaving out the door and you know uh, you mentioned a lot of the guys replacing him are you know kind of guys that were drafted this year but then now you would uh, include the addition you know of of Kemba Walker and all of a sudden, when you bring in a guy like that on a four-year deal, you he's not coming here to play the same role that he did in Charlotte in terms of, you know, being kind of a fringe playoff team. Like, this team wants to compete now. So, I I say all that to say, what what is considered a success uh, for the Celtics this year, and what would you consider a failure? That's a good question. I think a failure is probably a, you know, first-round exit, um, or at least, like, close, I would say that's probably close to an, I mean, kind of depends on who you get matched up with, if you know, you end up with like the five seed and Philly somehow ends up in four and, you know, you you get knocked out by them. That's different. But this team, I think, really wants to be competitive now. And I think they can. Um, It'll be it'll it'll be interesting to see because Kemba is really perfectly suited for Brad Stevens. I, you know, I think that the the two of them are really going to work well together. I think having some of the expectations from last year where they were this, you know, nominal super team with, you know, five potential all stars in the starting lineup and all this other stuff you know, that didn't really work very well. And I think that this year's team will have a little bit better defined roles. Um, You know, I think that they might just be a little bit more cohesive because one thing that everybody said coming off this season was, you know, look, everybody wanted to make it work from, from Brad to Kyrie to Tatum to Jalen to smart, you know, all the way down the line, Yabusele, like all the way to the bottom of the roster, everybody just wanted to make it work. Nobody could quite figure out how, like some reason they just didn't fit. And, you know, I'm guessing, and, you know, we'll see if I'm right. I, I think that part of the reason was because, you know, as as good as Brad Stevens is at coaching um, point guards, it's Kyrie's almost a different kind of player. Like he's an isolation player who just, you know, and a destructive one, like he's an unbelievable isolation player. But, you know, I don't know that he always that that was a perfect fit um, for Stevens, who likes to run, you know, all these high pick and rolls, high, uh, you know, dribble handoff plays, you know, have the big come out to the three point line and operate out there sort of almost five outsets. Um, that's what he really likes to do and then have the point guard collapse the defense. Kemba's perfect for that. You know, that that's right in his wheelhouse. And, uh, you know, especially with his speed and, and, and the quality of the players that are going to be around him now, you know, I think that that's going to make a big difference. So I, so I, anyway, that's a long way of saying that I think a failure, they're definitely hoping to get, you know, to, to, to be at least at the point they were last year. Um, and, you know, I think a successful season is one where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown look like, potential future stars and they look like they can play together and be really effective. And, you know, one in which Kemba, you know, makes an all-star team, maybe makes another all NBA team. Um, and they just see a lot of progress from the young guys. Like I think what they really want is to sort of know what they have. And I think it's one of the reasons why we haven't seen sort of a, a bigger trade for, you know, a, a center, um, or, you know, somebody who might make the roster a little more cohesive. They just don't know what they have yet. Like, Robert Williams barely played last year. He was two-time SEC play, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, was was projected to go like number twelve in in the draft, and he ended up slipping to number twenty-eight for various reasons. And basically, he didn't. You know, he assuaged all the concerns, 
and he still didn't get a chance to play because the roster was just so crowded. Like they need mm-hmm. to see what they have in Robert Williams. They need to see what they have in, you know, Jason, does, does Jason Tatum take another step up or does he have sort of like a leveling out, you know, from his second year? And, you know, if so, what do they do with him? Like, is he Tobias Harris or is he Paul George? So all these, those are all questions that need answering. And I think a, a successful season is one where they, you know, get to the second round, maybe get to, maybe get to the Eastern conference finals. If, if the matchups all break, right. And they sort of answer those questions because, you know, they have a lot of tough decisions coming up and, you know, we'll see how they end up, uh, how they end up making them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I kind of do think it's interesting that um, they, they kind of are in the same, like in terms of expectations, like obviously I think the Celtics last year, you know, before the year you had, you know, Bill Simmons, you know, what was it? 65, 67 wins, something like that yeah. uh, <laughs> going on about that. And obviously and he wasn't alone and he, to be, to be fair to Bill, like he, a whole lot of people predicted that team was going to win a ton of games. Right. And, uh, you know, I was one of them. I was I was yeah. one of them that, <laughs> to, to be fair, uh, that they, I think they were going to be first in the East. They were favored to go to the finals, all this stuff. And I think that we just kind of underestimated, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, th- there was a lot of talk that, you know, given uh, Brad Stevens' relationship with Gordon Hayward, uh, I think it was at Butler previously, and that maybe they he played him a little bit more than he should have, given you know he's coming back from the ankle injury, and you know maybe some of the Celtics guys felt entitled a little bit that he was entitled a little bit in that, and I think between that and then the Kyrie thing, and then you have uh, um, Terry Rozier talking about going from the passenger seat to the trunk, like it seemed like there was a lot of like kind of passive aggressive energy within the team. And I think all the talent was there last year to live up to that, you know, uh, 65 win potential. But I think the, a lot of the, the egos just kind of hit, hit each other in the head and kind of push back against each other. And it's, it's crazy to see because I think that what I, what I underestimate about this team is that, you know, Kemba Walker's leadership is like, it, it, it is some of the best in the NBA, like right up there with guys like Damian Lillard, in my opinion, where he just, uh, he, he always puts it on himself first. Like all, always a guy that's going to take the brunt of the blame when his team isn't doing well. Uh, not, you know, not going to try and ask out, not going to try and, you know, push himself to another team. And it seems like that leadership, I think is going to be a big change for the Celtics in terms of just them being able to have a guy that kind of leads by example doesn't talk a lot and he's going to provide you know not everything that Kyrie Irving was able to provide but a lot of it and you might not have that you know passive aggressiveness in the locker room what, what what's your kind of opinion on the, the the intangibles that Kemba Walker brings to this team and how that might actually uh, be kind of underrated in terms of the Celtics reaching their potential this year yeah no I think that's I think that's definitely going to matter and just just to back up slightly uh, there was this really interesting stat going around I think this is one of the reasons why Brad kept um, hammering, you know, Gordon Hayward into the lineup. Uh, basically, if if Gordon Hayward uh, scored like 14 points or more last season, didn't even matter how efficient they were. Like if he scored 14 or more, um, the Celtics were something like I don't remember the exact number. It was something like 18 and two or some ridiculous number. Like wow. they were they were everything that you could have you know hoped that they would be if Gordon Hayward was playing well. And then if he didn't, you know, obviously it fell off a cliff from there. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons why Brad kept going back to him. And, you know, he did put him on the bench pretty early. Like it was um, there was a there was a game in November when he benched um, Jalen as well. And he started Marcus Morris and uh, and and uh, Marcus Smart. Um, but he had benched Hayward before that, too. So uh, that was that was one interesting thing to kind of watch was that, like there was sort of this narrative that like everybody thought that Hayward was entitled. Uh, but, you know, and if, if they did, I, I'm not sure they had a great case just because he did get he was bumped from the starting lineup, you know. Real early in the season. To your point, though, uh, you know, I think that 
it's it's tough to say obviously at this point uh with Kemba you know he, he made a lot of noise at his uh at his introductory press conference just saying like oh yeah like I'm really easy to get along with and it sounded like everything that he said was like scripted by Danny Ainge to be like I'm not Kyrie guys uh, <laughs> but you know he's you know like you said he's a really talented player he's somebody who has always you know I mean the guy played in Charlotte for for how many years you know and he not only did he play in Charlotte he embraced Charlotte like he even when he left, it was sort of like, it was with every Hornets fan's blessing. Like, every Hornets fan was just like, yeah, dude, like, you, you got <laughs> you to go somewhere where they're running things a little bit better. Um, and, and, you know, he, he was always that guy. Like, he, he loved the city, and he embraced it. And Charlotte is not a major NBA market. You know, that's, that's a small team that didn't really succeed. And, you know, ownership didn't really do a good job of building a team around him. And he still just gutted it out to this point, to the point that he's 29 years old now. He's been in the league for a while. And, you know, never mattered. Like, he, he wanted to play. He wanted to hoop. He wanted to win. And honestly, if Charlotte had offered him the Supermax, he might have stuck around and might have just stayed, you know, in Charlotte for the rest of his career. And I think there's something to be said for that. And I think that there's, you know, something to be said for, for how much his teammates liked him. Uh, you know, his teammates all seemed to really respect him. And, you know, basically every NBA player will tell you that he leads by example. Um, and I think that Kemba might be one of the few that actually, like, you know, that you can actually kind of see that tangibly. Um, you know, he... Basically, he does kind of seem to be that type of guy. And, you know, I think we'll see how that we'll see how that translates. You know, the Celtics have guys who won. You know, they have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And those guys did come within like one half of the NBA finals. Like they have a case to be made for, you know, feeling like they should be in the driver's seat. Um, but I think that this season will kind of give everybody a little bit more ownership over everything. And, um, you know, I think that having Kemba sort of having a steadier hand at the helm with uh, with Kemba might make a little bit more sense. You know, I think Kyrie is is certainly more talented. Kyrie's, you know, one of the I mean, he, he, he honestly, some of the stuff that I saw Kyrie do over the last two years was some of the most amazing, you know, basketball that I've ever seen. But, you know, there's a lot of other baggage that comes with him. And the Celtics found that out the hard way. And, you know. Kemba might be able to undo some of that damage. We'll see. Right, right. Okay, fair, fair enough. So one of the last things uh, I kind of wanted to talk to you about is I have this like this kind of theory, and it's the, and it's the Jalen Brown versus Jason Tatum theory. And I think <laughs> at this point that a lot of people see Jason Tatum as that you know bona fide future franchise player. Uh, I I think they see him. At, you even mentioned him. Is he Tobias Harris or is he Paul George? And like even if he's like Tobias Harris, like you you got an incredible player, right? Like there's just no doubt. Right. But I feel like. Jalen Brown, like, you, you don't really get those, like, kind of same comparisons. He seems to be viewed more as, like, a role player as opposed to a potential all-star. And I, I just kind of feel like there might be more to Jalen Brown than people meets the eye. Like, if we just compare the two, like, I think at this point, Jalen Brown is probably a better defender in almost every aspect uh, than Jason Tatum. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the stats here. Like, their true shooting and usage was almost the same last year, although... Uh, Jason Tatum took about three more shots per game. Their three-point percentage, you know, Jason Tatum's first year, he shot uh, what I would think is, you know, a pretty unsustainable uh, <laughs> clip from three. Uh, what, what was it about, like 42, 43%, 43%, something believe, yeah. like that. 43, which I mean, like, if he can shoot that for his career, then you can you can cast me wrong 100%. <laughs> but I'm not going to – I'm going to assume he's not going to shoot 43 for his career. He was 37 last year on just under four attempts a game. And then you look at, uh, you know, Jalen Brown, and Jalen Brown's at, what, you're 35 with, ju with just a – little less attempts than Jason Tatum. So obviously, you know, Jalen Jalen Brown's ability to score in the mid-range and be able to, as a shot creator isn't necessarily the same. But I think that 
you know, the difference between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is not as big as people might think. Uh, and especially, you know, what I, I mean, I think Jalen Brown's a couple of years older than Jason Tatum, but you know, Jalen Brown's still only 23 years old, Jason Tatum, 21. You know, what would you say to the idea that, you know, maybe those guys are a little bit closer in skill set, maybe even a little bit closer in value than people, you know, might perceive, uh, you know, kind of across the NBA? So I'm I'm very high on Jason Taylor, on Jalen Brown. I, I think he's a really talented player. Um, you know, I, I think I think the biggest difference is just sort of in feel, um, like feel for the game. Like like Tatum just sort of has this natural ability, you know, and, and I'm not just talking about like passing and, and that kind of thing and like running an offense. You know, I'm talking about just kind of everything. Like, I think he is, uh, you know, uh, like sort of like the way that he can score, the way that he can uh, like sort of like the, the way that he can get his own shot off, I, I think is, is just different. Like that, that's just like a different type of, uh, uh, of player. And, you know, Jalen is, is very good at a lot of things. You know, he's obviously, uh, you know, very good. He's actually very good in the, in the uh, mid range as like a post-up option. Um, you know, he, they've been playing him at sort of the shooting guard and he's been punishing guys. Um, who are like a little bit smaller than him uh, when he does that. So that'll be really interesting to see. I, I don't know that I, I just think in, in terms of potential, Tatum's is significantly higher than Jalen's. Um, and, you know, that will be interesting to see because we'll see if he accomplishes that potential. And he might. Um, but, you know, when, you, when you're talking about Jalen, I, I don't know that there is that, you know, first, second team, all NBA type of player necessarily just because he does struggle a little bit with his handle. He does struggle a little bit with his passing. Um, and you know, those are things that he might be able to fix this season. He said going into last season that he expected to have them, you know, ironed out sort of. And I don't know that he always had the opportunity to, to prove that. Um, but you know, you're right about the defense. Uh, Jalen is, is certainly a significantly better defender. Um, and you know, that definitely matters. Um, you know, it's 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 definitely an intriguing question. I think that's one of the questions that they'll want to answer this year. You know, that, that I was kind of talking about how a, a successful season would answer a lot of questions. Um, that's that's definitely one of them. They're, uh, you know, Tatum is is a you know potential All Star maybe even this year. Um, Jalen has Jalen can get there, uh, but it's just going to be kind of a matter of uh, you know whether whether or not he's actually able to pass and, and whether or not he's actually able to handle the ball. So we'll see. It's it's definitely. Uh, it's definitely something they're going to have to discuss soon because the other thing about Jalen is that he's due a new contract after this next season um, and they can extend him before this year. So we'll see if those contract negotiations happen and if, uh, and if he's actually able to work something out, but um, yeah, they're going to have to make some difficult decisions there because uh, Ben Simmons and uh, Jamal Murray set the, uh, set the market pretty high this summer. Did they ever? My goodness, uh, yeah, that was that, that was that was pretty uh, that was pretty surprising between those two as well. Um, so the last thing I guess we'll touch on before I let you go here uh, is I, I we talked about this at the beginning. It's just kind of the the center rotation for the Celtics here. Uh, clearly the weak point of their roster, in my opinion. You know, we talk about Daniel Tice. He's shown some things at times, but obviously not a not a consistent guy that you want as a starter. You know, Robert Williams. Uh, you mentioned SEC two time Defensive Player of the Year, but you know hasn't really gotten the playing time. We don't really know what he is at this point without actually seeing some tangible you know stuff on the court and then Ennis Cantor who I would guess is probably the best of the three at this point um, you know he, we saw him do some stuff in the playoffs yeah, I think he was a little bit better especially defensively than most thought you know the can't play Cantor thing was you know going around and he kind of dispelled that just a, just a little bit I would say with his play uh, in the first round 
uh, against uh, OKC, and he had some flashes there in the second round against Denver as well. Um, but I still think he's, you know, a, de- a defensive liability in over 82 games. I think that'll show out as well. Um, so, what do you th- what do you think the the way to kind of mask this hole in the roster is for the Celtics. Are they going to play a little smaller? Are they going to, you know, maybe just kind of rely on Cantor? Are they going to put him in a position to, you know, not do as much? Like, how, how do you see them kind of masking this hole in the roster? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think one of the interesting things to watch is going to be, so let's, for example, say that they play, you know, what, what I think most people assume would be the starting lineup or something close to this. Um, like, say, Canner, Tatum, Jalen, um, Hayward and Kemba or, you know, f- uh, flop or flip flop, uh, smart or any of those guys as well. Um, at that point, you're looking at a team that has, you know, a, a guy who gives effort, um, but isn't great defensively in Kemba. Um, you know, obviously he's just, he's just real small. So it, it's tough to defend at that height. Right. And then you have three very good defenders, uh, you know, in, I mean, like, like, let's just say it's, you know, Tatum, uh, smart and Jalen, like those, those three are all good defenders like Tatum, you know, maybe a little bit less so than the other two, but he's still very good and very versatile. And then you have a guy like Canner who really struggles defensively. Um, Like that's just an intriguing team because like you said, there's this sort of this hole in the middle, there's this hole in the pick and roll, but there's all these versatile guys around who can help out and who can, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe cover for some of those problems. Uh, You know, I think that that'll be one area. We'll see how they do that schematically. I I think this is one of the reasons why Rob Williams will get real chances this year is because, you know, even when positionally he's not, he's not the greatest. Like he doesn't always find himself in the right place. He, you know, he, he doesn't always, uh, even in college, he didn't always do that, but just, you know, when you're that athletic and that long and that mobile, you're going to get out, you're going to get yourself on an NBA court, especially when you can protect the rim. And, you know, they also uh, signed a French center, Vincent Poiret, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. And he's, he's a guy who, you know, might get some real minutes too. I I don't think that Poiret was going to come over to the NBA if, you know, a team didn't promise him, like, look, you won't be buried on the bench. And, you know, I, I, I do think that the Celtics will give him a real shot, too. But, you know, they they believe that Canner can space the floor to the three-point line this season, and we'll see if they're right. And uh, if he can do that, I think his offensive uh, contributions will probably make up for some of the defensive limitations. Um, and, you know, from there, that will be one of the big issues of this team. Like, if, you know, can they get stops? Because if, if they can, they can be really dangerous. They've got a whole lot of offense. But, you know, it's a little bit less certain on the other end. Thank you to Tom Westerholm for taking the time. We had a little bit of technical difficulties to end the podcast, but want to thank Tom so much for his time on the podcast and for taking the time uh, to talk some Celtics with me. Uh, you can find his work on Twitter at Tom underscore NBA. And from there, he tweets out a lot of good stuff uh, along with being able to find some of his work uh, on the website masslive.com slash Celtics. And you can find all his work there. Thanks again to Tom for talking some Celtics with me. And uh, we'll be back uh, in soon time uh, with some more content. So stay tuned. <laughs>